Whoa, 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 whoa. Turn it back. Turn it back. What's that? Oh, nice. Turn it up. Oh, yeah. You have arrived, good people. Welcome to the Outlet Radio Show. Coming to you all the way from Brooklyn, New York. Here is your host, our favorite BK child with that million dollar smile, Azania Shange. Mm, here she comes, y'all. Here she comes. your show okay here she comes here she comes okay here stop comes. please <laughs> <laughs> uh. hello listeners uh it's azania back with you here another week and today we are joined by the artist formerly known as <laughs> glenn gordon sangu please pronounce your last name for me gcom sangu gcom welcome to the show thanks for having me this is great <laughs> And of course, we're also joined by V. Jeffrey Smith. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, clearly I'm in the studio with a bunch of nuts today. Um, But I want to explain why I'm really excited to have you here. One, we share a a wonderful legacy. We're both Howard University graduates. Indeed. Yes. And uh, you're a really outstanding artist. Um, Thanks. You're an actor. You're a playwright. You're a break dancer. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> um, but you just re- recently embarked on a journey that was pretty profound, and uh, it didn't happen overnight. It kind of it built to that moment, and so we're gonna kind of start at the beginning. And then work our way up to your trip to Cameroon, mm-hmm. uh, which was a really life-changing. Is it okay to say oh, that? Yes. Life-changing. It, it, yes, absolutely. Moment, transcending absolutely. moment for you. Yes. Um, it's really pretty fascinating and exciting. But let's start at the beginning. Let's go. No, I mean not the when I was in Amoeba. <laughs> no. Amoeba. 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 A zygote. Okay. <laughs> You're from Baltimore. I am. Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. How was that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Burbs, so it was fine. Yeah. It was like, you know, people think of Baltimore, they think The Wire. I'm from The Cosby Show. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I didn't actually, and not, even not, not even to be funny, but I actually did not understand, I didn't fully become aware of the concept of single parent homes mm-hmm. until I got to public school, middle school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because everybody I knew had both parents in the house up until that point. Fancy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm just saying, like, that's how isolated I was Mm -hmm. in terms of. So that's why when you say Baltimore, I'm like, it's not the Baltimore that people think of. It's the suburbs. How how were how was your upbringing in terms of your awareness of your African roots? Um, Always kind of. It was always. Like there in the background, like my 13th birthday, I had a rites of passage. Really? Yeah, that was Afrocentric. Um, there is a book that came out in the 70s that my parents bought to give. Um, I think Nathan Hare wrote it to give um, black children a rites of passage program. Hmm. And my so it wasn't like I had to do any, I did have to do some things, but I, it wasn't like I had to go through like a trial or anything like that. But the whole ceremony, everybody was wearing like traditional African clothing or kente claws. Those were big back in the early 90s. <laughs> yes. um, so everybody was wearing that. And I remember the biggest thing was they were giving me this because there was, so this is 1992. They were giving me this because they wanted um, to prepare me because black boys were under attack. 
Mm. That's what I was told in my so my 13th birthday. I'm like, hey, I'm a teenager, and they're like, you're under attack. And I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's always kind of been. It was never like in your face, like you're African, but it was always there. There was always a certain level of awareness. We both went to Howard, but I didn't know you. Right. During my Howard days. Right. I think my first introduction um, to you was when you did redefinition. Oh, wow. Which was really a profound piece. It's a one-man piece that you've done. Mm -hmm. And it it talks about you getting that DNA test Mm -hmm. to find out about your African ancestry. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, it's really pretty beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. Thanks. It's very funny in a lot of (laughs) areas. Yeah. Um, It started because in 2008, Nicole Salter, my business partner, another Howard alum, shout out to Nicole, was like, yo, um, we should start a company where young people can take the African ancestry test and use theater to explore what it means to reconnect to what was taken from us. And so I was like, okay. And we founded this company called The Continuum Project. Part of the what The Continuum Project was designed to do was to make sure that any artist who taught also did their art professionally. So um, in 2009, when we had our first group of students, I took the test with and Nicole took the test with the nine students. Mm-hmm. So I got my results back and I was like, okay, and now this is the part where I explore what this means. For me, it was like a very simple equation. The reason that we were, the way that they maintained slavery was to cut off identity. So if you don't know your roots, you can't actually function independently of the Eurocentric oppressive system. You Mm -hmm. have to function under that system. Mm -hmm. So if you get your identity back, that should start a reversal process. Mm -hmm. But I realized that that reversal process is not easy. It's actually, it requires people to do more self-analysis than I think most folks are willing to go through. And so a lot of people take the test and they're like, oh, I'm Wolof from Nigeria. And it sits there on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I'm Yoruba. And it sits there on a piece of paper and maybe they'll go visit the country, but they're not going to, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to actually embrace themselves and change how they identify themselves to the rest of the world. So I was like, what if I created a play that was a blueprint for what you do after you get your DNA results? And that was sort of the play. And then my good friend Chadwick Bozeman was like, I want to direct this. And I was like, great. And then we did, you know, a couple of readings and then Hip Hop Theater Festival did a, a workshop presentation. And um, then suddenly I became a playwright. Wow. Yeah. How did you learn about the DNA testing? I know I became aware of it through Henry Louis Gates Jr. Yeah. Is that how you came to know about that option? Yeah. What, what happened is... Um, we had watched African American Lives, which was his very first program that had like Chris Rock and Oprah and all that. And we read the credits and it said AfricanAncestry.com mm-hmm. because we were like, oh, this company tells you it's the only company actually. Shout out to Dr. Rick Kittles and Gina Page. Um, it's the only company that focuses on people of African descent and has the largest database of African lineages. So a lot of other DNA companies, what they'll tell you is like you're 72% African, 12% European, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. For most of us, that doesn't really tell you that much because it's just they're they're what you call haplogroups or they tell you migration patterns. So like 50,000 years ago, your family was in East Africa, Mm. which is where everybody's family was. Then some of the group went here, some of the group went there. And by the time you get to present day, they give you a list of like seven or eight different places where your human family lineage went. That's also not very specific and doesn't solve the crisis that we're in. So I was like, African ancestry deals with who you were before the slave trade. Hmm. And I was like, that's what we want. That's right. what I want. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it was through his program. Hmm. And I remember when we when we spoke about this, you said that 
It, it was a few years of, of preparing yourself for this after you found out where you were going to, that you were, where you, your family was from, where your ancestry came from. Um, after you found that out and you knew that you were going to go to Cameroon, you mm -hmm. said it took some years to really prepare yourself for that journey. Mm -hmm. How so? Um, well, you know, traveling is expensive. And I wasn't sure. <laughs> uh, on the left side. On the left side. Traveling is expensive. And I wasn't sure how I was going to get there. Um, and uh, also, too, I wanted to make sure I really knew about Cameroon. So I just, I, I in the midst of performing at La Mama through Hip Hop Theater Festival, um, I received a naming ceremony in Silver Spring from T-Car people, uh, specifically the Bamun. And one of the guys who named me had a nephew living here in New York who is the only person qualified to teach the Bamun language in the world. Wow. He has two PhDs, one in Cameroon and one from NYU. And he was like, he reached out to me through email and said, I would love to teach you the language and about our culture. And I was like, great. <laughs> so not only can I go to Cameroon, but I'm going to go with more knowledge than most people would go. And so we studied for like at least two years. Wow. Yeah. Just meeting, you know, it was kind of inconsistent. Like there'd be months where I'd be like away and we wouldn't meet. But like two years of meeting, of me learning language, of me having to learn culture through language, because it's like contextual. Mm -hmm. Like the way you say hello when you walk into someone's house is different from when you're down the street. Mm -hmm. And and that's contextual. Like you can't, I can't say ngafada, which is if I walked into your house and said hello, down the street, they'll look at you like, what? <laughs> so like, you know what I mean? So you, <laughs> why are you saying that to me? That's mm, wrong word. Um, and, and that was actually valuable because while in Cameroon, I learned that, you know, and I know we'll get into this shortly, but while in Cameroon, I learned how valuable that was because that level of specificity overrided my U.S. passport and where they would have treated me like an American because I had language and cultural knowledge, they treated me as one of them, which was bigger than, you know, most people go over and they're like, I'm in Africa. They're like, I'm in Africa. You know, like yeah. <laughs> either it's 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 too much of a culture shock or it's they're weird. thinking it's going to be the opening of coming to America. Right. You know, and for <laughs> me, I went open because I had all this knowledge. So between the time I actually took the test and me going now is six years. But within that, I was doing a lot of like casual research and study to get ready. Yeah, so let's get into this this voyage that you just, I mean, you just got back. Yeah. When did I, you get back? A, a week ago today. Yeah. A and I remember when today. I spoke to you, you were saying that it's just, it's been an interesting transition, like just uh -huh. <laughs> shifting uh -huh. your mind back into being here in the States. What is wrong with this place? It's cold. How has it changed your definition of home? Home is where I just came from a week ago. This is where I live. Yeah. This is where I reside and, and do work. And there's this important work. But you know, like when you go away to college, right? And you your dorm room becomes home when you're on campus. Mm -hmm. So you say, all right, I'm going home. You mean back to your dorm room. Mm -hmm. That's not actually your home though. Right. Right. Your home is when you go away for the semester mm -hmm. and then you come back the next semester. People say, how was home? Mm -hmm. They don't mean your dorm room. They mean the place where you grew up and resided. And there's a certain feeling you have around, you know, the home that you grew up in. Right. I was in Cameroon and it didn't feel like culture shock and it didn't feel like an overly glamorized and romanticized thing, it felt like home. It felt absolutely normal to be there. Even though you got 289 different languages spoken in Cameroon. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's called African miniature because there are, I think, like 300 ethnic groups just within that country alone. Wow. So you have so many different, like, people and everything about it, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So then when I came back, I was like, ooh, this is not where we're <laughs> supposed Because it was, I, it was clear while I was away, 
so much had happened in the 10 days I was gone. Like, you know, there was Where, another on this, on here. And the, yeah, stateside. Like, there was, like, another incident of police brutality. There was another. Like, there was still stuff happening. Right. And I was just like, oh, gosh. Oh, this is why it's... This is... Now I know why it's uncomfortable. Like, before it was uncomfortable because it was an injustice. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going, this is actually not... This is incongruent to normal. We have normalized crisis. Wow. Oh, yeah. And that's messed up. Like, we shouldn't go, well, that's just how the police are. Well, that's just how America is. No! Right. No, we are here because somebody took us. And we've learned to function in a foreign territory. We can't even think in our own indigenous mind because everything that comes out of our brain is in English. That's not our indigenous language. So everything that we're doing is like totally antithetical to who we naturally are. And it makes sense that we feel uncomfortable perpetually Mm -hmm. because we came here in, in an uncomfortable space and we've had to continuously try to be comfortable. And even our attempts to assimilate aren't comfortable right no matter what you do to assimilate you're still part of the other and i it became more glaring when i went to a place where i felt comfortable it was like going to howard and then you visit somebody at a school that's not howard and you're like (laughs) how do you manage at the (laughs) university of such and such you know what i mean like and they're like well you know it's about you know four percent african-american and you're like do y'all all all stick together do (laughs) y'all hold hands and Yeah, it's interesting that you said um, what you were saying about it feeling like home. Because my daughter just went over to South Africa, and I'm curious to see what she's going to feel when she comes back. You know, what that whole experience. I've never been, I've been all over the world, but I've never been to Africa yet. Mm. And I always say, we need to, black people need to go, Go. you know, at least one time. I think the point that Sangu is is really trying to make that it's more than just going to Africa because I think any of us can go. Um, I think the sense of home comes from knowing that this is where your ancestry comes from. So I think there's a certain responsibility that we all have to just find out. And I've been thinking about it because I know how the testing works. It's like the the men, when the men take it, it follows the male side of the... Right, the Y chromosome, which is only passed down by men. And then when the women take it, it's the, it's, X it's, it's the X chromosome. So it follows the women. So I want like my father to take it. And mm-hmm. then I want to take, so I, it's like, I want both sides. Yeah. I've done three so lines so far. Who have you done? I've done my maternal side, my paternal side, and my father's maternal side. My aunt, mm-hmm. my dad's sister took the test. Um, and what were the results? So the, the Cameroon side, the Tikara side is through my mother. My father's side, like 35% of black men who take the test is European. And I have a particular um, Y chromosome that is prevalent amongst all of Europe, meaning you can't pinpoint it down to any specific country. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people have discovered is how how genetically diverse Africa is versus the rest of the world. You can line up Africans from 10 different places and they're genetically more different than 10 Europeans lined up. Really? Yeah. The further away you go from the source of humanity, Uh the more homogenous humanity becomes, you know, through Mm -hmm. some sort of adaptation. And they don't really know for certain why that adaptation occurred. Um, but then my father's mother's line traced back to the Mende of Sierra Leone and the Balanta of Guinea-Bissau. So Ooh. my father shares ancestry with Sinke from the Amistad Rebellion. Like the same X chromosome I have, my mom has, my brother has, my aunts and uncles have, my cousins have. Mm. Like it, it gets passed down and it doesn't change for like many. It takes, I think, like maybe a thousand years before the code really changes if it's going to interact with other things at all. Mm-hmm. So what you have goes back 500 to like 1,000, 2,000 years. That's incredible. Yeah. See, I can't wait to do it. I mean, honestly, I want to, like, I really want to test my father, my mother. Like, I, yeah. I want to go testing crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, people accuse me. They like, you can never have like date a woman and she not know her roots because you're going to wait till she sleep and stick a swab in her mouth. <laughs> like. <laughs> All right, we're going to find out in six weeks. <laughs> They're like, and don't let it come back non-African. You'd be like, well, we'll still be friends. <laughs> I was like, that's so messed up. 
it's so amazing because you don't realize how much you're missing till you get it back. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way I can put into words what it's like to look at somebody and know that they know. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that anything drastic changes, but something in your spirit. Mm-hmm. When it walks around and you know for a fact that you're from the God people of Ghana, yeah. that's like a big deal. I think it's I think it's comparable to a child that's been adopted finding out who their birth parents. I mean, you you it's your identity. It's a source of your identity. Mm-hmm. It tells you who you are, mm-hmm. what you're made of, like your genetic mm-hmm. history. Like there's so much in that. Oh yeah. So I think I I mean I totally understand. I mean, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I won't be able to shut up about it once it happens because I'm I mean I've always been fascinated yeah, I'm sure with, you're not going to be able to shut up <laughs> <laughs> I've always been fascinated with African culture when I was little because it was so ingrained in me I mean I always yeah. thought I have a certain attachment to South Africa just because that's where my name is from that's what I was named after mm-hmm. so I've always kind of felt like this ownership over South Africa like whenever anyone goes I'm like can you get me something from there please mm-hmm, thank you mm-hmm. um but for me to kind of for me to find out exactly what part of Africa my ancestry comes from would be absolutely amazing we're all made up of 1028 people right if you go back 12 generations each one of us is the genetic blueprint of 1028 people before us right on both sides of of the of the tree. That's a good title for a song. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's like our that's our genetic makeup, right? Like, yeah. So y- this could be the result of because you can look at somebody. It's people in Cameroon look just like you. You know what oh, I mean? Really? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. But but a lot of the times, if you meet people, they'll be like, "Oh, you look." The people always thought I looked East African, like Ethiopian or Kenyan or anything. Uh. And I'm like, well, probably because you're seeing that European gene manifesting through me, you know, along with the African genes manifesting through me. So, you know, like a lot of the mix, we're, we're still a genetic mix of people, you know, um, and, and even people on the continent of Africa still carry genetic mixes because of how humans migrated. But like, you know, it'll be very difficult to look at you. First of all, most of us who are descendants of Africans who were enslaved come from West and Central Africa, mm-hmm. the vast majority. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people go, I want to be from Egypt. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Why you got to say it like that? <laughs> because why you got to say it? Well, like because like mm-hmm. even for instance, like yeah, I took Cleveland. <laughs> I, right. Exactly. <laughs> You know you ain't from no yeah, Egypt. From Cleveland. <laughs> take them a take them onks off yourself. <laughs> but man. no, but like really because we're so hungry for Africa, we'll grab Africa yeah. like it's a buffet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we'll make it like I took I had the dinker symbols on my wall. I took them down when I came back from Cameroon because I put things up that were indicative of my specific ancestry. Because I realized there was a lot of work done. Shout out to Dr. Yosef uh, Benyakin and who yeah, just, just transitioned. Yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of work by Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark and a lot of people who uncovered how great Africa was. The next step, I feel, is to get specific about where you come from. So you can't just go around grabbing different parts of the continent, putting it on yourself and saying, mm-hmm. I'm African. Mm-hmm. You can't just say Habaragani and practice Kwanzaa and, you know, and that's, that's all you, you get to do. That's and as far as you go. Yeah, you know, or to say, well, I'm all of Africa. No, you're not. Right. Africa. Africa's a big place. And I think it's, we by being specific, it doesn't mean like if you're into the Yoruba religion, you have to stop being Yoruba if your ancestry isn't Yoruba. What it does mean is that you have to bring awareness of exactly. yourself exactly. into the, yeah. the, the picture. And I think we might need to take a few steps back from what we think Africa is, mm-hmm. both the over-romanticized part and the over-demonized part. We have to get make sure we start really getting factual information. And I think a great yeah. way to start with yourself and learn, you know, if you are, you know, Ashanti, you can still love South Africa and st- because your name is from South Africa. But uh, in addition to that, you also have knowledge about your culture group and that specificity is what carries you over in the continent because it's one thing to say you african they'll say we're from then you say a country and they'll say what people right 
right. and if you, you can't answer the, the right, you yeah, can't answer those questions, then your Africa card, yeah, yeah, is up for debate. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you see this this experience that you just had informing your work moving forward? Um. Well, I always wanted to create. You know, like as an in the theater in entertainment as an actor and a playwright we always learn the art from the greek roman perspective you mm-hmm. know or from a western perspective right yeah why why do you think why well it's obvious but for the people why, <laughs> why is that, that? Is? yeah um because the origin of uh, you think of a thespian comes from thespis who you know he they were doing um the festival of dionysus in greek in Greece, he stepped away from the chorus and began imitating Dionysus, and he became what is considered the first actor. So every actor after that would be called a thespian. So people in the educational system start with Greece as the origin of theater. And everything you learn about um, the arts comes from European names, Stanislavski, Strasbourg, Uta Hagen, um, Shakespeare, Shakespeare <laughs> uh, Brecht, it's all these things. We don't realize that the market theater in South Africa was doing tremendous work. In fact, theater of the oppressed is heavily based in the conventions of market theater. We don't realize that African ritual is the true origin because we were embodying ancestors with uh, mask work, dance and song and otherwise mm-hmm. long before Di- the Festival of Dionysus came about. Right. So. Um, And I got that information starting at Howard and then moving forward. And so I think that the question for me then becomes, so how do you infuse that back into the contemporary work now? Can we create an aesthetic? Not to, I'm not even trying to be comparable to the Western aesthetic in the sense of like comparison as to which one is, is better. I'm saying that you can approach theater from your cultural perspective, no matter what culture you come from. Every culture has a form of theater. You can approach it from that place and get to the same result of truth and of, of, of human understanding, whether you did a Stanislavski technique or a ritual that comes from, you know, Benin. And, but our performance aesthetics have always been African. If you look at the Jackson 5, James Brown, if you look at Burt Williams in minstrelsy, even the, what made him better than the white minstrel performers was what he could infuse into his art and people were surprised that he was black because he was so good (laughs) he was he was better at the stereotype of blackness than his white counterparts and i think by infusing that into the work what is the african aesthetic to performance from you know so i want to infuse like the Bamoon Tikar aesthetic, but somebody else should do Wolof or Yoruba or Igbo or Bamilike or whatever and see how we can, you know, fuse those things together. Like cooking. Are you going to be cooking something? Um, no. <laughs> well, I'm going to be cooking up a hot play, hopefully. <laughs> no, that's going to happen. That's yeah. going to happen. Because, you know, you start talking about cooking and I get really... I know you get excited. I do. Yeah. I'm going to make something this week. I'll invite you over. Vegetarian? Yeah, I can make a vegetarian. Why did your voice get all high? Because you were like, vegetarian? It's like your eyes were like, don't you feed me no meat. (laughs) So going from New York to Cameroon, uh, was it a big adjustment? Did you find the transition to be difficult? It was just like the whole way that they approached stuff was so chill. Yeah. You know, mm. I never rushed. Like CP time is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Because when you don't rushing is what you do here. But I will I remember we went to see the king when I got my official naming ceremony. Yeah, you there, posted right? a video. Right. So when they when they got me from the hotel, they were like, Let's go, we're late, right? And I was like, Okay. And they started walking real slow, right? And I was like, <laughs> Are you sure we late? <laughs> But it's a relative, time is different. That was another thing that was mind opening. Time is different. Space is different. The way you greet each other. Um, how your word is your bond for real. Like we say that your word is bond, son. But like if I, if, if I didn't call somebody, they would be like, why didn't you call me? 
And like that was across the board. Mm -hmm. So it was certain things that I feel like we are here in America are trying to reinfuse that is already just within the cultural codex in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I get it. We do this naturally, but we're fighting against our own natural um, uh, inclinations in order to fit a paradigm. And it's the whole square peg and a round hole right. thing. One of the things that I was really um, curious about when you got back was how, what, what their perception of what was of what's happening here. Um, a lot of the uh, turmoil within our communities, a lot of the upset with with regard to the police and, and our black men and women actually, our black people being gunned down. How did they, how do they receive that news? And, and what what is their response to it? They don't understand it in the sense of it doesn't make sense. And I, and I mean like, they're like, oh my God, they're killing you because you're black? Like that doesn't make sense. Why would, why would you, the question I got, like about three times was why would you live in a place that would kill that where you don't feel safe around the police and i was like because it just imagine that doesn't compute it doesn't compute mm -hmm. to feel safe to live in a place where you don't feel safe mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense but because of everything that we've gone through mind you they don't really learn about slavery they learn it happened but they don't learn what happened to us like during the Middle Passage and all that. Mm -hmm. In the same way, we don't learn about colonization and what happened, you know. Right. Um, but everybody I met when I brought up Ferguson or brought up Eric Garner or something like that, they knew and it was, it, they were sad about it. They were like, that's really, that's heartbreaking. And it, but they said, <laughs> you guys should come back home. And they said that in Nigeria, and they said that in Cameroon, you know? And it wasn't like it was just one group of people. It was like, that's what the immigration officers at Lagos Airport said. Come back home. What kind of uh, stuff is happen happening over there with the police? It's not obviously not the same thing because of the racism that has to right. happens here, but what kind of stuff is happening over there? What, I mean, did you... Yeah, there was corrupt. I mean, there's clearly corruption. There's there, corruption everywhere. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. And and it was nothing. There was very little difference in terms of like the kinds of problems that I saw in Cameroon from America. I think uh, I have noticed that there, of course, are governments that stay in uh, individuals in government that stay in power for too long, and that there are people when they go against that power. Yeah. They, the government comes down hard on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much harder than they would here in an overt way. Mm. They may come down on you hard in a covert way and you don't know about it here. In, you know, in in Lagos or in Douala or wherever, they might really like put the stamp down on you. But like I mean in terms of like silencing like your voice. I I don't know how much they would go to killing. I don't I didn't I didn't know that for certain from my 10 days there. Yeah. Um now I'm talking about in terms of black people and what we go through here with police. Is is it I, I saw, is it comparable? Is that what you're right, asking? Exactly. Yeah. I saw there was a moment where we had um an incident on a bus going from the Bamun Kingdom back to Douala, which is the economic capital of the country. And there are checkpoints along the way, right? And at these checkpoints, um, there was a uh, the officers were some one a group of officers came on the bus and they were checking everybody's Cameroon IDs and they saw that we had US passports. And they tried to like walk off the bus with our passports. We were like, well, no, 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 no. What's going on? And then we eventually got our passports back because they were just, I think, checking them to see if we had visas, mm -hmm. um, which we did. And then, but I noticed a car had been pulled over in the same checkpoint area and the police were dealing with the guy and the guy was yelling back at the police. And I asked somebody. He was black. He was black. Oh yeah, I both. He didn't get oh, shot. <laughs> no, the police actually didn't have weapons on them. Really? Not to say that I didn't see police with weapons. I saw police with like M16s. Oh okay. But these po police officers at the checkpoint, and I I checked, 
They didn't have sidearms. They didn't have on their person. They didn't have weapons. And I wow. saw one officer grab a guy and I saw the other guy push the guy's hand off. But no fight actually broke out. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a culture where being resistant is not considered being. It's like, don't disrespect my pride. <laughs> But it seemed in that moment that that was something that didn't phase the police. It wasn't so far out of line that the police were going to gang up on this dude like we see here. So there was a sense of like, and I noticed that that was a major difference, is that police officers can be talked to and dealt with in a much less violent way than here in the States. And so there wasn't a fear of police. Mm. I had that fear because of my knowledge here. And the other right. bus passengers assured me that, that, it, was cool. that, w that it was cool. And okay. I was like, oh, that's different. So this is different. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's not true in any other country, but I know in Cameroon, that moment. Because I know you were probably looking like, oh, no, he's going to get it. Yeah. He's going to get shot. He's going to get beat up. Yeah. And it yeah. didn't happen. And we were there for about 10 minutes. Our common village, and we are in Africa. Our common village, and we are in Africa. Pastor's house, nine day fine pass. My people, them, they stay for boss of surroundings. Pastor's dress, nine day clean pass. Hard for my people, for them to buy so Pastor, now him, them give respect, pass. And them give bad, 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 I can speak from my own experience. I went to Colombia for six months. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, if I had bought into a lot of what I heard, yeah. then I would have believed that um, I would have been sold into the cartel immediately and I would have been a drug mule uh, right? because that was what was said to me pretty much once I announced it, that's what the, the that was the feedback that I got. Oh my God, the cartel, the drugs. The yeah. That's what I was concerned when, when you yeah, went over was, there. I was like, he oh, was one no. of the people. And she's not going to be the same. <laughs> right. It was nothing like that at all. Right. Right. So in your experience, did you, did you find that there were certain things that were said to you that when you got there, you were like, wow, this is completely. Well, you different. pretty much well was aware even before you went there, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, people did say things. And when I got there, I mean, you know, it's not like New York City, but it's a city. And, yeah. you know, people are... I saw prostitutes there. I saw rich people. I saw poor people. I saw yeah. folks who was trying to get their hustle on. I saw very deeply religious people. Mm -hmm. Um... Everything that I've seen in the hood, I've seen in Cameroon. Yeah. You Starbucks, it, you saw. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't see Starbucks, but I saw something comparable. Yeah, yeah. And, but the one thing I did see that was most mind blowing: all our behavior as black people, I saw in Cameroon, in a much more positive context. There is a booty dance done by the women of my ethnic group. That would be considered twerking here in America. Okay, this sounds interesting to me. Yes. Oh, <laughs> okay, here we go. I have to send you a YouTube video. Okay, all right. Because oh, it's, God. I mean, it's literally just their ability to isolate the muscles. The muscles. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not looked at as, and when someone does it well, they yeah, throw yeah. money at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? But That's it's not that looked kind of at. Sounded for me too, but exactly, it's not, we won't talk about that. Yeah, it's not looked at as something like, "Oh, I'm throwing money at you so because I want you to do me a sexual favor." It's like I'm applauding your skill, mm -hmm. and you see little kids dancing a certain way. Yeah. And again, it's like I'm going. Wait a minute. What is considered ratchet? What is considered vulgar? Vulgar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's context. And that's what yeah, I've been yeah. trying to teach my students here in America is that 
you've got to understand that everybody sees things from a different lens. And what is right or appropriate is appropriate in that context. Exactly. You go into another context, because this in in the peace sign that we call the peace sign with the two fingers up could be you cussing somebody out in another country. Mm. You know? Right. And you throw this up and they're like, (gasps) they're like, I threw up the peace sign. That's not the peace sign of other people. And Mm -hmm. I, I realize that our isolationism culturally here. We absorb very little of the outside world, but the outside world absorbs a lot of us. Mm-hmm. First thing I was asked when I said it from America, they were like, do you know Rihanna? <laughs> Beyonce at 50 cent. <laughs> you know, I saw a car that had G-Unit on it. I swear to goodness. It was <laughs> going down the street. It was painted in yellow and red. G-Unit. And it had the word G-Unit written. And I was like, that hasn't been out for like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> She might have been 50. Right. Well, no, it was whoever was in it. Right, because he's supposedly out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But no, whoever was in there, just like a regular dude, but his car was decked out yeah. in stars and the word G-Unit. Yeah. Wow. It was very normal. It was very comfortable. People I, I think one world. of the things that um, traveling abroad taught me was really how simple and easy it is to travel because I think mm-hmm. before doing it, I thought that it would take so much like oh my god i'd have to i'd have to plan i'd have to you know but then you realize once you do it the first time it's really as simple as buying a ticket yep it's really just that simple yeah and then once you realize it's that simple it seems like the whole world becomes this place that you can go to it is (laughs) it's so i was like i've got to go somewhere else now right you know i mean i'm actually planning to make yearly trips to cameroon just to establish myself but Mm. like Oh my, and traveling to Africa in particular, there is so much to see. Yeah. So much. There are so many. There's so many places you can (laughs) go in Africa that the number of places you can't currently go to is like minuscule. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe what, seven areas that you maybe can't, you maybe would have a little difficulty getting into right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe everywhere else is like Mauritania, come on in. (laughs) You know what I mean? Gambia. Why not? Join us. <laughs> We're just over here eating, having a good time, <laughs> having a ball. It, it's yeah, so man. it's so cool. But the yeah, traveling. I was nervous. I was nervous because it was my first time out the country too. Really? Yeah. Wow. I said I wasn't gonna leave till I knew where I was from. Okay. And All then right. I found out, and I was like, now I know where to go. Yeah. But that's it, great. Yeah. I like. I was like, the world is wonderful. Yes. yes. This is fun. And people are really cool. They're mm-hmm. very nice. Yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. If you go there the right way, I didn't expect anything from Africa. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect to do anything to Africa. I went open. Yeah. Yeah. And just left it like that. I think you got to approach the world the right way. Exactly. I think that's very, that's very key. If you go there without expectations... Yeah. Then you have just there's just limitless possibility. Yeah. For your experience. It's a spiritual lesson. Oh, really? Spiritual. (laughs) Spiritual. You better preach, Azania. And I and I I did ask you if that was if you saw yourself moving there, and your response was that you feel like there's still a lot of work to do here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I would live in Africa. I'd live in Cameroon for sure. I would still need to keep a place here. It's so much mental unlocking we got to do here. Mm-hmm. Like just to get to a place of saying I deserve to be present and alive in this moment is a lot for our people. Because mm-hmm. each successive generation yeah. is interpreting crisis as normal. And so you have to do more work to unpack how abnormal it is. And the only, the best way, not the only way, but the best way for me to aid in that unlocking process is to create art that makes people go, I want to go home. I want to go to, you know what I mean? So I feel like that work's got to be done. It would be ridiculous to leave and just live on the continent and not, and, and forget the diaspora. Yeah. It's aboriginals that need their stories told in Australia. It's people in South America that need their stories told, you know, people in Europe that need their stories told. So 
I feel like I still want to contribute to that. And also there's a lot of, there may be things as I continue to return to Cameroon that we have done here that are helpful to the forward movement of Cameroonians. I won't know that unless I'm in both places. Um, but, you know, when I go there, somebody's like, where's, I haven't seen Sangu in a while. You know, he in Cameroon <laughs> at his house eating some Jepture and some, you know, fufu chilling. And I will be <laughs> cold chilling. Yep. So yeah, I live in both places. That's awesome. That That's great. I, lo- I love that because I know I have a home in, in Cameroon. Yeah, come on through. Absolutely. Seriously. Y'all can come too. Okay. It'll be much bigger yeah. than this. My, my pad, I told you. Oh, no, this is nice. This, you know. is, this is cool, man. The other it's thing, too, is they don't stuff. have a thing. They don't have land taxes, I don't think, in mm-hmm. Cameroon. They don't, you don't pay a housing tax, like on a mortgage or something. Mm-hmm. Really? That concept is kind of foreign. Uh, I think once Jeff's you. Jeff's about to pack his bags. Right. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> like, once you build it, it's yours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you pass that on to your children. That's awesome. Yeah. They'll take it away from you if you haven't done anything with it. You know, hmm. but yeah, I might a, I might have the property next to yours. I'd be like, wait a minute, girl, you, you know you I'm from like, Guinea. What's up, Sango? <laughs> she from Liberia. Why she even over here? <laughs> oh, I knew you was gonna build a house next to me. Come on over then. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we've reached that point in the show where I get to do my favorite thing. Oh. Get to ask. My questions now. Do I need I've, to cover up? <laughs> I need to get your Kleenex. <laughs> um, I don't actually, remember when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god! I've changed it. I've changed. I've modified this segment just a little bit. I don't understand why. Whenever I announce this particular part of the show people start to act crazy because it's kind of like when somebody calls you up and go can we talk for a second you're like (gasps) what did i do wrong you immediately think you've done something wrong so when people say so it's that time you feel like am i being cut from the dance number it's like like waiting for the collection plate time to pass around for the building fund We, we, we gotta oh heal because God. we think every time somebody <laughs> says something, we've done something wrong. You, oh. listen, listening audience, listen. If you've ever heard, so it's that time in the show, or can we talk, and you automatically think it's something <gasps> bad, oh we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so this is gonna be something good. Okay. Okay. Great. great. Oh my goodness. Okay, so my first question: Are you are you ready? I'm ready. The stand up routine is over. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the first question. When did you know you wanted your art to do more than just entertain? Um, when I saw Star Wars, I thought that being an artist was the closest to being a Jedi, and I thought I could restore balance by being an artist. So I was like four. Wow! Really. Yeah. That's a serious answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a Jedi. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so in the in this segment I answer the questions that I ask. So okay. in this oh, like, you show case, me mine. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know it. Um, when, when did I want to know that I wanted, wanted my art to do more than just entertain? I would have to say, I didn't really know that I wanted, okay, let's, let let me be honest. Okay. Howard university made me feel a sense of responsibility to not just go out there and just entertain for entertainment's sake. Like we need to say something. And then it really was, was, um, 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 made clear to me when I started when I turned toward acting because I didn't start acting when I was at Howard when I started acting and I started reading casting calls and mm-hmm. I started to see that they have a very particular idea of who we are in in the realm of film and television and I realized that I want to step outside of that I need to introduce audiences to more than mm-hmm. just that so that's that's what it was for me, I would say. Word. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. See? Yeah. See, I can get deep with this. You shit. did. No, I, I, <laughs> I know that. Okay, number two. What is your dream role? One I create. I would like to play Kwame Ture. <gasps> and Kwame Ture? Uh, formerly Stokely Carmichael, chairman of uh, SNCC. SNCC. Yeah. And Black Panther. He was in the Black Panther Party. And then um, I, he has a great story. I have his autobiography. He has had a great story. Um, but honestly, I, I think the role, my dream role, I haven't thought it up yet. Mm. Yeah. I probably got to make it. <laughs> That's right. But you do want to do Kwame, right? That I would, would be, love that to. would be a real yeah. I, I'm not as tall as he is. Well, you but I would I would bring the heat. Yeah. You really I would. would. I've seen you perform and it is absolutely remarkable. And he Thank was, you. He was what fire anyway. Exactly. Was, oh my god, man. Yeah. I used to watch him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do that cuz he's he was he was you know what I like about that dude? That dude would say whatever he needed to say. And then laugh afterwards. He yeah. like, you know, because that's what the hunky does. <laughs> you know, like and he was just so. <laughs> and I was like, you know how much, how many times we go? Well, you know, white people have the audacity. Like we always cover the the race yeah, of yeah, the. Yeah. You know, it was a white person that did that, and I'm like, I don't want to do that no more. Yeah. And I think watching him do it was one of my first examples of people saying the truth, and then standing there like, and what are you going to do? Mm. That would be a great, ex- you know. I mean, not to mention the rest of his life is fascinating, but I would love to cover Kwame Ture. I love that. Yeah, mm. and you know, then maybe do something much lighter like Slick Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you doing that too. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> that'd be fun. Well, for me, if if I had the opportunity, my dream role would be Nina Simone. I've, oh, wow. I've, I've dreamt of this for a long time. It, it actually was something that was brought to my attention by someone else. Mm. Um, a few years ago, we were driving to, was it North Carolina for the National Black Theater Festival? Mm-hmm. North Carolina? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Long ride from New York there. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about what we would like to see. You know, we would like to see a show with a Nina Simone story or something. Mm-hmm. And then we started throwing out who should play it. And they were like, Azania, what about you? And I was like, me? And then I was like, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So, <laughs> me? From, <laughs> so from that moment, I really started thinking about it. And I just was, I started to notice one, I've always loved her. I've always been fascinated by her. And in some ways we kind of look alike. So it'd be interesting. Are you preparing? I have been kind of preparing. Okay. I mean, I've, I still need to um, do a great deal of research. I would want to take every iota of it very seriously. I would want to learn the piano. I would want to Word. learn how she speaks, how she moves, like all of it, everything. And I find myself, even when I watch footage of her, I'm fascinated. Like I'm just looking at all of the mannerisms, everything that she, just her inflections, just everything. Next thing I know, I'm gonna be interviewing you on this show. This is the Azania <laughs> show, but she's being interviewed today. <laughs> Tell us about Dina Simone. <laughs> thanks, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> I'm serious, that would be dope. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it happens. That'd be Word. pretty amazing. Okay, here's your next question. Okay. This is for 10 points. If you had to pick <laughs> one thing. <laughs> That's how you said it. This is your next question. This is for $5. Jeopardy, right? <laughs> if you had to pick one thing you want people to gain from your experience, what would it be? Oh, wow. From my experience in Cameroon, mm-hmm. that... Um, to be specific about your roots is the key to your liberation. You want to go ahead and drop the mic right there? Almost, <laughs> Cause almost, because I backed up to. off of it. Like, <laughs> I wish you would say something. <laughs> yes, that's what I would want. Specificity. Specificity, I realize, is something that um, we are... Uh, we like, we do it with food, right? Like you'd be like, you know, what you want for dinner? You want Thai? Yeah, I have Thai. No, I want Italian. 
when it comes to specificity of people, we go, well, why can't, why can't we just all be American? Why can't, so I, I gotta kind of just make you one dimensional. Mm-hmm. But specificity is why you choose to date one person over another. Specificity yeah, is yeah, why yeah. you you gravitate yeah, towards yeah, certain yeah. people. Specificity is why fraternities yeah. and sororities exist because there are right. differences. Mm-hmm. And those differences can be celebrated without being denigrated at the same time. So it doesn't matter if you're from Guinea-Bissau and I'm from Cameroon. I can still celebrate you for being from Guinea-Bissau. And that's totally cool. But like the fact, and it's it's cool because you know, and that comes with a beautiful package that makes up who you are. And I think that if we do that, we will actually be even closer because everybody talks about being pan-Africanist and Afrocentric. And that's how you do it is you realize that there's a lot to Africa and you have to be specific. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, you're not going to do your own? Oh, oh. <laughs> now I feel like I do like a James Brown. Hit me. <laughs> you can't add a, that James Brown thing and out to us. Hit me. Boom. And then just drop. Yeah, we could do that. Oh, shucks. <laughs> we could definitely do that. I got three dollars. <laughs> uh, we could. Do you want me to get some of the Cameroon money? I, let me see. $3. I got some cowrie shells right here. Would no, I pay no, for anything? No, I'm good, my brother. <laughs> okay. Being by my brother. This was ancient currency, so it's still valuable. Okay, I'm gonna answer the question I asked you. Okay. <laughs> Damn, I forgot about that. If you, if I had to pick one thing I wanted people to gain from my experience, I would say, um, in terms of my experience abroad, um, it would be to find out for yourself. Yep. That would probably be the biggest thing because I'll it's so. That easy for people to chime in and talk you out of something that you feel compelled to do but I would say go find out for yourself I love that um, because when I went it was beyond anything I could have ever expected like it just was incredible and it really opened my eyes and my heart up to the idea of just seeing the world and getting to know people from different places so definitely if this is something you're thinking about if you're thinking about um, getting tested if you're thinking about venturing to Africa to trace your roots and you're being talked out of it by different various family members, know and understand that they're imposing their fears, their concerns, and oftentimes their own limitations, their limiting beliefs onto you. So if it's something that you want to do and you and you are informed, then then go do it. Yes. Find out for yourself. Yes. And you will have a great time. And the food is slamming. <laughs> See, that's all you have to say to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I had some of the best. You know, another thing, I, I recently read something, this was quite a while back, that if people of African descent ate the foods that our people on the continent eat, we would be healthier. Yeah. Yeah. We would yeah. have less yeah. of the mm-hmm. problems yeah. that we're su- supposedly susceptible to. Because even things like normal blood pressure might vary from culture to culture. So what is normal for a European in terms of blood pressure might not be the same for a a Native American, Mm -hmm. you know. And I know my ex-girlfriend, her sister, actually, when she was having her second child, was asked about ancestry. And because she was able to tell where they came from because of the African ancestry test, it helped in the prenatal process. Mm. So there's a lot of benefit to, you know, knowing your roots and going over there because you might actually come back a physically healthier person. Mm. And, you know, who doesn't want that? Right. Yeah. Okay. And now we've moved to the last question. I've changed things around a bit this week. Okay. The last question is all you. You have the final word. I'm not answering this one. <laughs> so be afraid. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so there is no actual question? It is a question. Oh, I'm okay. just not answering this one. Oh, okay. I got you. So this one's your question. Hold on to something. <laughs> <laughs> this is for 25 points. <laughs> What? Just stop. Stop. <laughs> How much money have we raised so far? <laughs> I want to go to Cameroon too. Right? For your donation of 300 or more. 
What is the Dubai most? Jet. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I need almost a sixty-five right. million. Right on. <laughs> to buy that jet. Buy a jet so I can go save people. <laughs> oh my god! Brilliant. What is the most valuable piece of advice you've received, um, both in terms of your journey, maybe while you were traveling, and then just overall within your career as an actor? It's a tie between two things my mom says. She says, and they're jokes in the family, but they actually are kind of profound. She'll say, always be who you is, never be who you isn't. Because if you is who you isn't, then you isn't who you is. <laughs> so that's one. And then she, the other one is, if you get to it and don't do it, you may never get to it to do it again. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I could get with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's from my mom. So those two things I think Carrie, she'll love that. Oh my gosh, if she hears this, she'll be like, you quoted me on the radio. <laughs> Who's your friend, Azania? You quoted me on there. You know, like, but yeah. Is she like, on the internet? Did she? She's on Facebook. She oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, God. So, we'll get, so. <laughs> so we got to get friend her mom his mom so oh yeah oh no she looks at all my posts so oh it okay goes up. okay all right all right yeah 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 that's yeah. why i can't post nothing crazy because i'm like my <laughs> mom's gonna see this <laughs> yeah, yeah. but no, not she, that you're the type to post crazy stuff i'm Come not on, give me a break i'm so not i post you know like kids counting on sesame street because i'm like i remember this when i was five you know what I mean? like, but no i think those two things are, are powerful just because like identity is such a big thing and I feel like for us, we're told not to be who we are. Right. But we should be, and we should love it and embrace it. We'll be yeah. so much happier. One thing. But sometimes people got to just go through the process of finding out who they are. You absolutely. So you have to go through that, you know. But, but you know what was interesting about my trip, and I'll kind of close this, my, this little section with this point. I went to the Bamun Kingdom first and had my naming ceremony. Then I went to Bimbia, which is where the slave the slaves, the Africans were enslaved and taken. Uh -huh. It was the last place of Cameroonian land that they touched before they sailed off to the Americas, right? It's something interesting about that journey because a lot of people start learning about black knowledge and deep black knowledge from the, the, the what they did to us. So we end up being knowledgeable but angry. So you walk around and you go, you know what they did to you, sister? They did this, that, and other thing. And look at the way they've been. And that's all you have of knowledge. And you don't realize that actually that knowledge should make you feel better about yourself inside. And so by starting with the greatness and then going to the place of pain, I was able to, to still understand that we're great no matter what. And, and that this knowledge should make you feel more empowered but not empowered and mean you shouldn't walk around dance africa like mm, i'm african, <laughs> dance africa? You, you should no because people go to bam y'all know you go to people gotta go to dance africa yeah. and there's some people who look like they're completely unhappy but they got all the knowledge and i'm like that knowledge should make us stronger and happier not stronger yeah, and more upset it shouldn't yeah. stress you out to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. like when people go, oh, that's deep. A lot of times we drop our heads. <laughs> like you ever talk to a group of students, you know what I mean? You talk to a group of students and you dropping some knowledge on them. If you watch the whole classroom will eventually drop its head. <laughs> so I realize you have to actually make sure people understand it's a joyous thing to be African. Yeah. It's joyous. It's joyous to be whoever yeah. you are. I'm not knocking any other group of people, but for us, be happy to be. I'm African and happy. Yeah. I'm not African and like, I'm African. Are you African? No, you're not. Look at what you did to your T-shirt. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, come on. So that's what I learned. And hopefully I'll put that in a great play. Y'all can come and see it. Absolutely. And, um, you be know. Be out there supporting. Yeah. yeah man. But it's about, it's about joy and empowerment and knowing that you can be you and feel good about that. Nobody can be you but you. Zani's like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I'm, I really can't wait for you to see Sangu perform. He's oh, really yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
when really is next, incredible. I have um, a reading of a piece. I'm in the Emerging Writers Group at the Public Theater, so I'm doing a reading of my new piece called Sinking Ink, like the rock him lyric. Okay. I start to think and then I sink. Um, and it's about me, actually. It's actually another... It's, the style is similar to redefinition, but it's about me learning how to rhyme mm-hmm. and learning to find the confidence in feeling like it's okay to be a kid from the suburbs who can freestyle. Okay. Um, and this is your piece. This is my piece. I wrote it. Okay. And, yeah, I'm um, looking forward to it. So man. that happens in the end of April. Okay. And then the piece that I'm writing for Penn State goes to South Africa mm-hmm. uh, in July and then gets performed at Penn State in October. And I'm sure somewhere soon I'll have another incarnation of redefinition. But this uh, journey is going to spawn the the sequel to redefinition called Return, which is about what happens when you come back from connecting your roots. Okay. And how you adjust. So, yeah, it's about to be serious. And I'm about to be kicking that truth in an entertaining way. (laughs) And get paid. And get paid (laughs) with African money. (laughs) (laughs) Cameroonian money. Yeah. And we're also, just last thing, I'm trying to start a program to start having people go over in groups Mm -hmm. um, to the continent, but to go through a similar process I did of... Uh, if you want to learn the language of your people, if you want to connect right. with people here in the States, right. you can do that first. So when you go over, the transition is a little smoother. Mm. And, you know, because I feel like that'll if people see how it's done, they'll be more inclined to do it. So mm-hmm. look for that within the next, I'd say, three to five years of uh, taking folks over. That's oh, great. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Sangu. This has been incredible. Thank you. This has been a really great conversation really Word. informative really empowering inspiring i'm sure there's some people trying to figure out how can i do this africanancestry.com africanancestry.com you can go to the continuumproject.org to find out about our company's work with young people and the dna testing and um yeah and i, I work actually closely with africanancestry.com as well and they're a wonderful company and they're black owned which is great so and black woman owned which is also great that's also great yeah well they trying to get us i knew y'all was coming hey. not on my watch <laughs> they coming to get you i know right so when you came got off the plane <laughs> exactly he's back he's different he's yeah. got a new name get him <laughs> well thank you listeners for tuning in just stick with us for a minute we'll be right back with closing remarks Hey, this is Sanguji Khan. You are plugged in to the Outlet Radio Show with the one and only Azania Shangay. Act like you know. First and foremost, thank you, Sangu, for your appearance on today's show. I am now inspired to find out the specificity of my ancestry thanks to you. And I'm fairly certain I won't be standing alone. Sangu had a dream to not only know his ancestry, but to also return to the place where his ancestors once called home. Proof, I say, that there is no dream too big or far-fetched. So, dare greatly, y'all. Dare to answer the call. Dare to follow your hearts. And you best believe you need to get ready, because there is sure to be an experience far greater than anything you've ever imagined on the other side. Hey, if you don't believe me, ask Sangu. All right, good people. Until next time, take care. This has been a Jam Carver Music and Lions Pen production. Shangay, Shangay.